Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Uncle Chris, oh my word. I'm going to have to deal with him later. Um, it's, uh, man, it's, it's good for me to be here. Uh, most of you, I think I'm old enough to be your daddy. So, uh, um, you know what? I tried to think of a clever way to start this this morning. Some little cute uh, way to get your attention and get you to listen to me. But how about we just jump in and I just tell you the truth. Isn't that what uncles do? Isn't that what daddies do? They just, they just dish it out straight. I'm going to warn you. Some of you are not going to want to hear what I have to say today. You're not. You're not going to like it. But I'm going to ask you to let the Holy Spirit of God take His Word and apply it to your heart. I'm going to ask you right now to posture yourself before Him and just say to Him, Jesus, speak to me. Can we say that together? Let's just say it. Jesus, Speak to me. Say it again. Jesus, speak to me. I hope that's why you're here this morning. I hope you came with some expectation that you would meet with holy God and he would open himself up to you and speak into you. Because church, that's why we gather, to be with God and to hear with him. We're going to look together uh, at what has uh, become over the last few weeks a super rich and meaningful passage to me as I've sat in it and dug in it and prayed over it. And so if you've got a copy of the scriptures, I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, and I'm going to begin at verse 14. Mark 9 14. Now, let me set the stage for you just a little bit. Jesus has been up on what we call the Mount of Transfiguration with three of his disciples. It's been a glorious experience. I mean, they have uh, seen Moses and Elijah and the glory of God. Jesus has been transfigured into this uh, beautiful, heavenly, glowing uh, being. And it's just been one of those mountaintop experiences for Jesus and the disciples. And so Jesus and Peter, James, and John come down from the mountain, and they come up upon the rest of the disciples, and that's where we're going to pick it up, Mark 9, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and becomes rigid. 
I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Just picture this for a second. Jesus comes up on his disciples who are engaged in what appears to be a heated argument with the teachers of the law. We don't exactly know the substance of their argument, but it surely started around the disciples' inability to cast out this demon. And there's a huge crowd gathered around them, but it seems like Jesus is more interested in his disciples, more concerned with them and their behavior than he is with the crowd. He doesn't address the crowd. He says to his disciples, what, what are you arguing about? Now look, you and, I, you and I know this is Jesus. He knows our every thought. He obviously knows what the disciples are arguing about. So I'm not sure exactly why he asked, but before the disciples can come to defend themselves, there's a man in the crowd who speaks up. Teacher, I brought my son, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Maybe you don't think it's uh, reasonable for the disciples to have been expected to handle a situation like this. But Luke 9, which records this very same incident for us, Luke 9 begins with the disciples being sent out by Jesus with authority and power to cast out demons and heal the sick. And Luke tells us in that same chapter that they healed people everywhere they went. So this father came looking for help expecting some relief, but the disciples could not drive out the Spirit. And now there they are arguing with the religious leaders. But this man, he's not interested in their argument. He's worried about his son. Can I just say this to you this morning? Hurting people are never interested in our arguments. I'm going to say this because there's some people in the room who expect me to say it. I don't give a flying flip about what you're arguing about on Twitter and Facebook. People don't care. People don't care. People are hurting, don't care. They don't need your argument. So much of what you bicker about on Twitter and rant about on Facebook doesn't help them a bit. They're hurting. They need action, not argument. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that we have rendered ourselves uh, useless before, our, before the people of our day because of our arguments. Clearly, Jesus isn't pleased either. He's clearly, he's frustrated. Verse 19, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long will I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Y'all, it's hard for me to read that and not hear exasperation in Jesus' voice. It's hard for me to believe that that was a, a gentle little like, oh, come on, bring the boy to me. But who's he talking to? Who's Jesus addressing here? Unbelieving generation. Listen, this is a sweeping condemnation. He's not just addressing one group. He's talking to the whole crowd gathered there. Unbelieving generation. The fickle people who were only wowed by Jesus but not really believing. The crowd that just wanted to see something special happen. Unbelieving generation. The Pharisees and teachers who refused to believe that he was the Christ. 
unbelieving generation, the disciples who doubted and questioned in spite of all they had seen and heard. Unbelieving generation. Maybe the the father who stood before him now, dressing him only as teacher, but looking for some relief for his son. Verse 20, so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Can you just stop for a minute and grasp the agony of this? From childhood. This boy has been tormented. He's not a kid anymore. It says from childhood. He's not a baby. He's grown. He's come into adulthood as he stands before Jesus now. And it's been one continuous attack from the time he was a child until this day. One crisis after another with one goal in mind. The father identifies it. The spirit throws him into the water and into the fire to kill him. The goal is destruction. It's been so long since things were normal for this family. There's no peace and no rest. Not a moment that this father can take his eyes off his son for fear of what will happen to him. Listen to me. I'm a dad of two boys, 10 and 12, and I know this. Nothing will break you down and make you desperate before God like watching your kids hurt and suffer. Toby Martin says it this way, there's nothing. There's nothing like kid pain. Is there a parent in the room that can say amen? Well, this dad knows that if something doesn't happen soon, his boy will be dead. So he pleads with Jesus. If you can do anything, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Can you hear the desperation, the fear, the anxiety? Maybe it won't ever end. But Jesus, if you can do anything, anything at all, I'll take whatever you can do. I'm done trying to tell you what to do. I'm just asking you to do something. Just please have mercy on us. Please take pity and help. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at that place, desperate, broken, and afraid, and just saying to Jesus, just do something? Jesus replies, verse 23, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. I'll be honest with you, it's super hard for me to believe that this is a rebuke. I don't hear a snarky comeback from Jesus. I believe that in tenderness and compassion, Jesus looks into the eyes of this broken and desperate father and says tenderly, if you can, is not the right question, my friend. I can do anything. But you have to trust me. You have to believe. And Jesus' words fanned the fire of faith in this father. And so the scripture says, verse 24, immediately the father's, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. 
I do believe. I do believe. Help help me overcome my unbelief. There must have been something about seeing Jesus that lit a spark of hope in this father. He heard something in Jesus' voice. He saw something in his eyes that resonated him with him. I don't know, but something moved this father to cry out immediately, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I can't tell you this morning how, how much I love this. There's no pretense here. Desperation will do that to you. Humility always dismantles the masks we wear. When I understand who he is, there is no point in me trying to hide who I am. Look at me, church. There's no point in you walking in here this morning and saying, singing together, this is how I fight my battles from a posture that looks like you think you've got it all together. Some of you, your greatest problem this morning is that you think you can handle it. You think you've got it. It appears that you have the world by a tail and God has apparently not brought you to a place of brokenness and desperation where you're willing to say to him with all honesty, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And y'all, if we really want Jesus, to do something, we have to be honest. I do believe. I do believe. It's not perfect faith, but it's there. Mixed in is unbelief. But Jesus, I don't want to be taken down by unbelief, so help me overcome my unbelief. And that spark of faith was enough to move Jesus to action. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. Y'all, this is complete and final and eternal and total healing for this boy. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. All it took was a word from Jesus and this son and his father were released from a lifetime of agony. Can you imagine what that felt like? Can you you just imagine for a moment what it felt like for that boy, for that man to be released from this demon that had seemed to control him all his life? Can you imagine what it felt like for that father to know his son was going to be okay? Freedom, healing, what joy, what release. Verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Something happened here that was significant, and the disciples wanted to learn from it. They they wanted to know why they had failed and what they could do different the next time. Why couldn't we cast it out, Jesus? And I think there are at least three important truths that you and I can learn from this encounter 
if we're going to ask the question, what, what can we do different? What can we learn from this? Here's the first truth. Jot this down. There's a spiritual battle. Write it down. There is a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle. It's a real fight with a real enemy who has proven strategies and a singular purpose, death and destruction. Listen, the incident in Mark 9 is not a parable. It's not a story that Jesus told to illustrate a truth. It's a real incident with real people in real time. And that problem that this man and his son faced is as real for us today as it was when Jesus walked to the earth. There is a spiritual battle. Now look, some of you are going to look at me this morning and you're going to say, maybe not out loud, please tell me you don't believe in a real devil. Please tell me that an educated man like you doesn't believe in demons. I I realize you're from Raleigh and this is Charlotte, but you know... Surely you people up in Raleigh aren't so uneducated and so unsophisticated that you believe in demons. I mean, this is the 21st century after all. We're enlightened and educated. You can't expect us to believe in some ancient superstitious malarkey like there's a real devil and all his minions out there to get us. Can we be honest? Can we just be honest? Our ideas about demons are sensationalized because what we've seen in the movies. And we've let Hollywood warp our perception about something that Jesus and the Bible are very clear about. I'm going to tell you, the devil probably is not wearing a red suit. He probably doesn't have horns and a long tail with a pitchfork on the end. But it doesn't mean he doesn't exist. Yes, there is a real devil and real demons. And I believe, and I, and I believe that, that because Jesus believed it. Many of his miracles involved casting out demons. Jesus told us the devil was real and even told us what his agenda was. Listen, don't push back on the idea of supernatural evil if you are willing to believe in supernatural good. You can't believe in a supernatural power from heaven and not believe in a supernatural enemy. Jesus believed in him. If you want to question my sanity about it, just realize you're questioning Jesus' at the same time. Jesus told us, John 8, that the devil was the father of all lies. From Matthew 4, we see that Satan uses power to tempt us, and he causes us to question God's love for us or even our identity in him. In John 10, 10, Jesus calls him the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 Peter 5, 8 warns us to be alert and sober-minded because our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We learn from 1 Corinthians 7, 5 that he tempts the saints specifically with illicit sex. 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us that he turns unresolved anger into bitterness in the hearts of God's people. 
He puffs up Christian leaders with pride so they fall, 1 Timothy 3.6 tells us. He puts obstacles in the way of God's missionaries. We learn that from 1 Thessalonians 2.18. 2 Chronicles 3.11 says he deceives and leads people astray. 1 John 3 tells us that hatred and murder come from him. Satan and his demons are real and they are actively scheming to destroy you and everything God wants to do in you and through you. And that is precisely why the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Listen to me. There is a spiritual battle. And you are either fighting it or you've already been taken captive. See, some of you this morning are prisoners of war and you don't even know it because the prison's pretty and the food is good. Listen, the surest way to lose a war is to deny that it exists, that it exists. Or to ignore the fact that there's a war going on. If you want to experience the abundant life that Jesus died to purchase for you, if you want to live in victory over sin, you're going to have to fight. But that means you have to be, of, be aware of where the battle rages for you. Can, can we just, y'all, come on. For some of you, I can be a little bit more free with this because uh, my kids aren't here this morning. For some of you, for some of you, the battle rages at home. I got a 12-year-old. We in middle school. Some of, you, some of you young adults have yet to repent of how you treated your parents when you were in middle school. <laughs> And some of your parents are suffering from PTSD because of how you treated them. <laughs> listen, listen to me. For some of you, the battle is at home. You've got a teenager. You've got a kid who's hijacked the family dynamic. Her responses, her mood affects everybody. I'm not saying your kid is demon-possessed. They might be. But I am saying that the enemy will use their sin and rebellion to disrupt an entire family. Listen, disobedience and disrespect are not a stage. They're not a phase. They're not something that you and I should receive as if it's normal. It's normal in the sense that all kinds of sin are prevalent and accepted in our society. But it is not normal in the kingdom of God. It's not a stage. It's an attack. For some of you, the battle is in your head and in your heart. You, you know the truth, but you just can't seem to believe it. Does God really love you? Has he really forgiven you? It's like there are two voices in your head. And there are. There's the voice of truth declaring to you what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. And there is the voice of the serpent tempting you just like he did Eve with, did God really say? 
And you, my friend, are caught in a spiritual battle because the devil can't stand the thought of you actually believing the gospel. For others of you, it's an identity struggle. Yes, you know the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But you feel stuck. You feel caught. And it doesn't help that you just figured out your Enneagram style. And it confirms what you already knew. You're anxious and fearful because you're a six and you were born that way and nothing's ever going to change. I mock you. Yes, I do. <laughs> listen, listen. The enemy is taking something that should be used by the Holy Spirit to show you where you are not walking in the power of the Spirit and motivate you to surrender yourself to God. And he's using it to confine you and trap you in something that God never intended for you. Listen to me, number six. The scripture says, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, make your request known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Put that over the top of your six. Y'all, I went through the thing last night. I thought, I'm going to call every one of you out, but I don't have time for that. <laughs> If your Enneagram style de describes something for you or about you that is not of God, then you need to break free. The enemy wants to trap you, but Jesus wants to bring you life. Some of you sitting here this morning are just overwhelmed with desire, sexual desire. It's all you can think about. And it seems unreasonable to say no to something like this. Didn't God create you with these desires? Surely he wants you to be fulfilled and have joy and pleasure. Can this really be wrong? Why should I, I wait? Why does it matter who I love? And the battle rages and the enemy stirs up passions in you and he's doing his best to keep you from absolute surrender. But I'm going to tell you the truth this morning. For many of you, it's likely that the enemy has caught you and you don't even know it. I didn't describe you. You're good. Life's good. You're comfortable. You love your life. And it really doesn't feel much like war until you read Jesus' words to the rich young ruler. One thing you lack. Go and sell all your possessions and come follow me. And the enemy whispers to you, that's fanatical. That's over the top. That's unreasonable. And the war rages in our hearts over our treasure. But 1 John 2, 15 and 16 warn us not to love the world because the cravings of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of possessions, these are not from the Father. They are intended by the enemy to knit your heart to this world. And my friend, the battle for your affections is intense. And it is a spiritual battle. Whether you recognize it or not, it's war. The enemy is hell-bent on destroying you, 
on stealing your joy, on robbing you of your faith. He will do everything he can to distract you and cut you off from the only one who can give you abundant life that is found in God. So hear me today loud and clear. We're at war. Here's the second truth that I think we can learn from this encounter with Jesus. The struggle for faith is real. The struggle for faith is real. Faith is necessary, but it is not easy. In response to the Father's plea for help, Jesus lays out the condition for his help. Faith. Belief. He says to this desperate man, everything is possible for the one who believes. And in that moment, with his son's future hanging in the balance, this broken father blurts out, I believe. But he doesn't stop there. He adds one more confession. Help my unbelief. He's got faith, but there's doubt mingled in with it. Jeremiah 17, the prophet hears from God, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And the prophet says back to him, I I trust, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I can't even figure out how much faith and unfaith there is, how much belief and unbelief there is. It's mixed up. My heart's messed up. How, How do I even know if I believe? And God says back to the prophet Jeremiah, I, the Lord, search the heart. I know. I see. And Jeremiah responds, heal me and I'll be healed. Save me and I'll be saved. Do you hear it? He's saying the same thing. I believe, but help my unbelief. Don't let unbelief overwhelm me. Listen to me this morning. You don't need perfect faith, but you need to be honest about the condition of your faith. And you need to acknowledge that even in what God requires of you, you need his help. We need God to sustain and strengthen our faith. Charlie said it at the beginning. Y'all, I believe this morning because the Holy Spirit of God is working faith and belief in me. Not because I've been a preacher for 34 years. Not because I grew up in a Christian home. Not because I got baptized. I believe today because the Holy Spirit is giving me the strength to believe. He's working faith in me. This father had two things on which to base his faith and make his confession. I want you to listen to this this morning. He had Jesus' word. He had Jesus' word. Everything is possible. He had the word of Jesus from the mouth of Jesus. Everything is possible. He heard Jesus say, my power is unlimited. And the sound of that stirred faith in him. But he didn't just have Jesus' word. He had Jesus' presence. He was standing there face to face with, face to face with Jesus. Eye to eye with the Savior of the world. Looking into the love of God made manifest for him. And that compassion in those eyes gave him hope. This is not new and it is not novel. You need to hear and heed this. Just like this father, we have access to Jesus' words and his presence. And they are absolutely necessary if we're going to live by faith. If you expect to live by faith and experience the abundant life, you will need to be actively, daily hearing the word. Newsflash, 30 minutes on Sunday morning ain't going to do it. Some of y'all are already in a fight before you get to the parking lot. And you need to have the Word of God stored up in your heart. And that's not going to happen from you sitting in here because 90% of you ain't written down nothing I said. 
You won't remember it before you get to lunch. You sitting there looking at me like, oh, that's nice. I'll think about it later. And you thinking about it later will bring destruction to you. You need to have this word of God in you so that when you're stuck, what you bleed is the word of God. When you're pricked by trouble and difficulty, what comes out of you is the Word of God. When you're squeezed by the attempts of the enemy to destroy you, what comes gushing out is the Word of God. But you don't just need the Word of God, you need the presence of God. We're going to fight the good fight and finish the race and keep the faith. We're going to need to learn to abide, to sit, to gaze. To put the dead gumbo down and enjoy the presence of Jesus. Y'all know more about what's happening in everybody's life than you know about the character of God because you look at Facebook more than you do at the face of Jesus. You gotta learn to gaze. You gotta learn to get look. You gotta learn to take it in. Listen, faith isn't something that just happens to you. It's a deliberate choice to trust, but it's not blind faith. It's anchored in a person and tethered by a trustworthy work and validated by a host of witnesses who've gone before us. But listen to me this morning. Faith is a struggle. It's a fight. The third thing I want to tell you is this. Prayer is essential for victory. Buckle up, because I ain't got but... About five minutes left. All right, so here we go. You ready? You gonna listen fast? You good? All right, this is the crux. This is the landing point. This is what you need to hear today. Prayer is essential for victory. I'm gonna say it again. One person said amen. Prayer is essential for victory. Look, the disciples were genuinely confused. They clearly expected to be able to cast this demon out. But they also clearly failed. So they asked Jesus, why, why couldn't we drive it out? And his reply is very simple. This kind can come out only by prayer. What's that mean? I'm going to be straight with you. I, I, I don't know entirely. I, and I, don't, I, I think I could build a whole sermon out of what I think Jesus means right there. But I only got five minutes. So here we go. First, I think that Jesus is identifying their lack of faith as the reason for their defeat in the spiritual battle. Do you remember earlier in the story when Jesus bemoans their lack of faith? Verse 19, you unbelieving generation, how long will I stay with you? How long shall I put, with you, put up with you? He was talking to the disciples. And when he said to the Father... Everything is possible for the one who believes. He wasn't just talking to the father of the demon-possessed boy. He was talking to the disciples. In Matthew 17, we have another record of this same encounter. And Jesus responds to the same question in Matthew 17 by saying this, because you have so little faith. That's why you couldn't cast it out. Because you have so little faith. Listen, <laughs> which one did he say? Yes. Because Jesus is saying this kind comes only by, out by prayer is a declaration of an evidence of a lack of faith. But Jesus doesn't just seem to be telling them that it was a lack of faith. He's telling them it's misplaced faith that kept, from, kept them from experiencing the power of God. Maybe they thought they could handle it. 
I mean, after all, they had some experience in casting out demons. They had a record of success. They should be able to handle this. Write this down. The absence of prayer reveals a lack of faith. Look at me. Your prayer life. I'm not talking about what you want your prayer life to be. I'm talking about what your prayer life is. Your prayer life may be the best gauge of trust. It may be the best gauge of where your trust lies. Your prayer life may be the best gauge of where your trust lies. Listen, our lack of fervency in prayer is probably the best indicator that we've placed our trust somewhere other than in God. Because a lack of prayer says, listen, I I can handle it. I got this. It'll all work out. I've been down this road before. It all comes together. It's going to be okay. Listen, your prayerlessness screams, I got this. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith in God. You might have lots of faith, but it's placed in the wrong place, in the wrong person. But prayer doesn't just reveal your faith. Prayer builds your faith. This kind comes out only by prayer. If, 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 if a lack of prayer is a demonstration of a lack of faith in what I'm going to do about it, I'm going to pray because prayer builds my faith. Listen, it's so much more than asking. Prayer is communion with your Father in heaven. It is time spent in His presence, intimately engaging with Him. Prayer that is focused on God and not on my circumstances will build a robust belief that my powerful God can do anything and my loving God will do what is best. That's why, that's why when I pray, I follow the, ador- the ACTS acronym, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication, because you know how I'm wired up? I'm an S. I'm a supplicator. I'm an asker. I wake up thinking about things to ask God to do. And I need to steer my ship back the other direction because God wants to hear from me more than just what I want. He wants to know I know who He is. And so I adore. I rejoice in the character of God. I confess. Because listen, I've got, if I'm going to maintain intimacy with Him, i got to acknowledge who I am and what I've done. And I need to lay hold of the forgiveness that Jesus died to buy for me. Thanksgiving. I engage in Thanksgiving because recounting, I need to recount all I can of what God has done and express gratitude for. Listen to me. When you adore Him and you confess and you give time to Thanksgiving, you are building your faith and your confidence in your God. And I say it this way. When you know who you're talking to and you know what He can do, it changes what you ask for and how you ask. Your best asking will come when you have saturated yourself with the character and the work of God. Stop looking at your circumstances. Stop analyzing your situation and lay hold of the character and the work of God. Listen, the prayer, and the third thing is this, prayer of faith accesses the power of God. The prayer of faith accesses the power of God. Only one person in this story prayed. Only one. The Father. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And that simple prayer accessed the power that changed everything. Listen, James 4, 2 says you don't have because you don't ask. 
And that might be the clearest diagnosis for many of us today, but it doesn't have to way. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. John 15, 7 and 8 says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. James 5, 16, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Listen, listen. Prayer reveals a lack of faith. Prayer builds your faith and prayer accesses the power of God. So church today, lay hold of these things. There's a spiritual battle. The struggle for faith is real. And prayer is absolutely essential if you and I expect to walk in victory. Can we pray together? God, how thankful I am. How thankful I am that you have made yourself available to us. The God that you have declared your desire to work in us and through us by your Holy Spirit. And so, God, we come to you today acknowledging that uh, we have an enemy who has been on our destruction, but God, thankful that you have already told us that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So God, give us courage and faith and stir in us, God, a willingness to lay hold of you in prayer, believing, believing that everything is possible for the one who believes. We pray in Jesus' name.